Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Nancy Chernin. Nancy is an award-winning children's book author who writes books about people who have made the world a better place and inspire children to be heroes and heroines, too. She's a recipient of numerous awards, including the 2021 National Jewish Book Award and 2022 Sidney Taylor Honor for Dear Mr. Dickens, a true story that is the subject of an educational program offered by the Charles Dickens Museum in London and two Sidney Taylor notables for her 2021 A Queen to the Rescue, the story of Henrietta Zold, founder of Hadassah, and 2018 Irving Berlin, the immigrant boy who made America sing. Born and raised in New York City, Nancy lives in the Dallas area. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Lisa. So great to be here with you. Well, I'm delighted that we were able to catch up. Um, Hasn't been easy, but we did it, um, which is great. Um, So I've been eager to chat with you about your most recent book, Mr. Dickens, an illustrated children's book, and curious to hear how you came to the story. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the fact that this is based on a true story. It's an absolutely true story, and it has been vetted by three Dickens scholars. Every quote in the book is from the actual letters between Charles Dickens and Eliza Davis and from Charles Dickens's own work. So everything is sourced and vetted. Um, I came to the story. The story is actually a very personal story because when I was growing up, um, my mother and father love books and encouraged me to read anything I wanted. And I was used to reading everything, just pulling books off the shelves, going to the library, bringing things home. And the only time my mother objected to anything I wanted to read was when I fell in love with Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens, he's one of the greatest writers uh, of the English language. But my mother, who understood about mirrors and windows before we call them that, understood that the image, that the Jewish characters in Charles Dickens were very hurtful stereotypes, particularly Fagin in Oliver Twist. Um, You know, she was right. I had to agree with her, but yet I felt there had to be something more to Charles Dickens because after all, he had such a big heart. He cared about kids. He fought against child labor laws. He, he fought uh, for the vulnerable. He believed in charity. How could he have no heart for the Jewish people? It was a real puzzle to me. And one day as an adult, when I was started researching one of my books, my mind drifted as it always did to Charles Dickens. And I came across a scholarly article about a Jewish woman named Eliza Davis who had written to Charles Dickens and changed his heart. And I was astonished. I couldn't believe it because I had always dreamed of writing Charles Dickens a letter, but it's kind of hard to write to someone who who lived in the 19th century. Um, I felt as if I was suddenly in a time travel novel that this woman had written the letter I had dreamed of writing. I had to find out more. The scholarly article I found only quoted a little bit of the letter. And I turned to my librarian, by the way, I love librarians. They are heroes and magicians. And that librarian in less than five minutes found out where I could find the letters. Well, one place was in London um, at the University of Southampton, but they had the original letters under lock and key. And you had to make an appointment to go see them. 
Uh, this was going to be a challenge that since I was living in North Texas. And she said, well, there are also two other places in the United States that have out of print books that contain all of the letters. And one of them was 40 minutes from my house at the University of North Texas. Well, that certainly sounded like it was meant to be. So I called the University of North Texas. Um, it was in their rare book collection. They put me in touch with a professor that donated the book, Professor Don Van, to whom this book is dedicated because Professor Don Van and his lovely wife, Dolores, now the late Dolores Van, became mentors and helpers. He put me in touch with the other Dickens scholars. He encouraged me. He made sure that um, as I researched, as I read, as I tried to make this accessible, for ch accessible to children, I was also true to the actual story and what happened. Um, and he even was by my side when I got the early sketches from the illustrator, Bethany Stancliffe, and to make sure that the, this, that everything in the illustrations also reflected, you know, uh, everything that was uh, it reflected the fact that you know, the exact shape and dimensions and the color of all the year round, the magazine that Charles Dickens published. Um, it, it just was a wonderful journey. Uh, but what happened also here was I was so anxious to share this with my mother. And I'm summarizing this journey. It actually took a long time because I discovered the letters in 2013. And I did find a editor, an editor that was interested in this until about 2020. <laughs> and that was right. I know I had so many, I've heard so many reasons why this wouldn't work. Um, who is Eliza Davis? Why would the kids care about Eliza Davis? Um, they don't won't even know who Charles Dickens is. Why would they be interested in a book about letters? And how could you even make letters exciting to read um, and exciting to illustrate? But I really believed in this. I wouldn't give up. I many I wrote many other books in the meantime, held on to this until an editor that I had done four other books with Wendy McClure and Albert Whitman said, "What else do you have for me?" And so I trotted out my newest um, picture book biography ideas, because that's what I had been doing, picture book biographies. And she said, well, you know, I have a lot of picture book biographies. Do you by any chance have a story about maybe two people, maybe not a biography, but a moment that might have changed history? Um, and I said, do I have a book for you? And so it had been sitting in my computer all this time, waiting patiently, for its moment in the sun, I sent her dear Mr. Dickens and she got back to me the next day that she wanted it. So uh, seven years of waiting and then it was an overnight pick. Um, and of course, once it came out in the world, everyone went, it, it won more awards than any of my other, my book people, critics and uh, readers have been very kind to my books, but this is the one that has gotten the most attention. This book's so close to my heart. And I also have to tell you um, that, Lisa, that I started this out as a story about my mother. When this book finally came out, my mother started to develop dementia. And I was so anxious to get this in her hands while she could still read it. And the publisher was kind enough to give me an uncorrected proof in August of 2021 before the book came out in October. And she was still able to read it. This woman who used to read like 700 page books in a night. Now she could read the picture book 
she still could read the picture book and she read it. And I could see her tear up because here my mother is a retired teacher. And why do you become a teacher? It's because you feel you can make a difference, that education can make a difference, that people can change. But she felt someone like Charles Dickens, how can he change? He lived many years ago. And, it, and his words about the way he described Jewish characters had been so hurtful to her. And when he saw that, she saw that he had read this letter, that he had changed, that because of Eliza Davis, he had created the kindly Mr. Rhea, a Jewish man in Our Mutual Friend. Her eyes teared up and it was like something melted in her heart to realize that even Charles Dickens was able to change and did change. You know, in, in Jewish tradition, we call this teshuva, doing atonement. He may not have known the word teshuva, but that's what he did. And we also learn in our tradition that when people change, it is important to forgive them and welcome them back. Um, and indeed, after his death, Eliza Davis wrote to Charles Dickens's daughter, Mamie uh, Dickinson, Dickens, and she said, that her father, Miss Charles Dickens, had done the noblest thing a person can do, which was atone for a wrong. Not just saying you're sorry, but taking action. And he took action by creating Mr. Rhea. It meant so much to her. It meant so much to the Jewish community. It meant so much to the world. And indeed, as you learn in the back matter too, in the book, but also even more in the back matter, England changed during this time. I mean, everybody read Charles Dickens. And during their lifetimes, things changed for the Jewish community there. England went from being one of the most anti-Semitic places in the world to becoming increasingly welcoming of its Jewish community. Um, and I also like to say in the back matter that, you know, England went from being the country of the blood libel. I don't mention the blood libel, but, you know, they were... England expelled its Jewish population in the 1400s before the Spanish Inquisition. And it ended up becoming the country of the kindred transport in the, 19, um, in the 1900s. And it was the only country to do that. And sure, certainly that was after their lifetime, but it reminds me that every good thing that you do, it can have a ripple effect long after your lifetime. That's what I think we believe. That's what I believe. And I think it did a lot of good. And I was so happy to share this with my mother. And it really brought us closer together because she finally understood why I believed it was more to this man. And uh, when she realized it was more to him too, it was healing for her heart and for our relationship. It, it's interesting to know that he kept the letters. And I'm curious um, that they... How many letters did she write? How hard was it to do the research for this? Well, it, 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 was, it was challenging, you know, because I had to find that out of print book. Now I think the letters have since been, you can maybe find them online because times have changed that way. Um, the letters um, were saved. You know, he burned a lot of his letters, but the, actually the correspondence wasn't that long. Mm -hmm. It was, she had written a letter he had kind of rebuffed her, and that's in the book too, like, who are you to be challenging me? And then she wrote again, and she put everything she had to say in that second letter. 
Um, and that he didn't actually respond to that letter. He responded to that second letter, I believe by creating Mr. Rhea. And that's when she responded to him. And she responded to him this third time, not by a letter, but by giving him as a gift um, a Hebrew English Bible. And she inscribed it to him with her gratitude. And then later she followed up after his death with a letter to his daughter, Mamie. And did the letter in her lifetime get any um, play beyond just the two of them corresponding? She was very shy about any kind of, you know, public exposure. And I think she was a little taken aback uh, when people learned about it because she saw it as a private thing. But she did, as I said, write to his daughter. Now, to give you a little bit more background, um, she and her husband, uh, James, um, actually knew about Charles Dickens before she wrote the letter because she and her husband bought his home, Tavistock House. Um, he had been eager to sell Tavistock House in London because he wanted to buy this mansion he had always dreamed about in Gads Hill. Um, and again, background, um, when he knew that they were interested in buying it, he was very eager to sell it. But when he heard that a Jewish couple was buying it, there's a letter where he wrote to one of his friends saying, oh, this Jewish couple wants to buy it. This is really going to be a dreadful, I mean, in so many words, I'm paraphrasing. So he was expecting the worst because he had a stereotype uh, vision of Jewish people. And I think this comes about when you live in a segregated society. Remember, England is segregated at this time. Jewish people do not live alongside um, the Christian community. They don't go to school with them. Um, they don't, they're not allowed to go to university. There are so many jobs close to them. So he has a very stereotype view of what Jewish people are. And then afterwards, when the, when the um, purchase was made, he wrote back to that same friend and he was, you could see he was a little sheepish. He went, well, that was actually one of the best business exchanges I have ever had. And he sort of realized maybe I was, a, maybe he was a little bit wrong. So that kind of softened him up. Um, and then the first time she wrote to him, she writes to him and she is, broaches, she asks him for to contribute to a charity, money that she's raising um, for a charity in honor of the Montefiore family. So he can also see that she's a person of charity. We call it Sadaka, he calls it charity, but it's the same thing. And he's very moved by people who are charitable. And okay, let me give you another little backstory. Before she wrote the letter also, the Jewish Chronicle, which is one of the oldest Jewish newspapers in London, and um, which is still in existence today, and by the way, wrote about Dear Mr. Dickens, they had published a letter, an open letter to Charles Dickens, asking why he had so much compassion for everyone except the Jewish people. And he absolutely ignored it. And her first letter actually borrows a lot of the language from that letter in the Jewish Chronicle, which he again rebuffed. This time he actually responds, but he rebuffs her. Um, and it's that second letter where she really tries to appeal, and that's in the book, to his sense of the past, 
um, of, of the books he loved as a kid, like Ivanhoe, which had such wonderful Jewish characters, like Isaac of York and Rebecca. And she appeals to his sense of the present um, about not representing Jewish people as they really are and future, how people will judge him. Uh, people like her little boy, um, her, her children, she's a mother. And that's the letter that moves him. Even though he responds to it in the way he knows best, which is by creating this character in the book. It's, I would imagine, um, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing story and it does, um, I would think for you as a writer, I mean, I know children's books are challenging to write in that they have a construct they have to fit into. We think, oh, it's so few words, it must be easy. Far, far from it, I know, um, is the case. But um, how challenging was it to write a book that deals with such a sensitive issue of stereotyping and at the same time really does encourage children to become activists, I think, and um it's such a great lesson and just an inspiration, I think. So what were the sort of dynamics of that for you? That is such a great question, Lisa. And I have to tell you, I mean, this is one of the reasons this was challenging and it was challenging to get someone to really want to take it on. First of all, I've been, at this point, I've been writing I've been writing um, these picture books for a while and there is a construct. And usually you always start with your main character as a child. So the child has someone to relate to. Well, Eliza was not a child. And I couldn't say like, oh, as a child, she always dreamed of writing a letter. Well, maybe as a child, I always dreamed of writing a letter to Charles Dickens, but that would not have been true. She didn't even know who Charles Dickens was when she was a child. And I couldn't say, well, she was an activist as a child. None of that felt true. I really couldn't go down that direction. So she comes up with this idea when she is a mother. So she's a grown person. So already I'm breaking the first rule. How am I gonna bring children into it? Another uh, rule that one usually follows is most of my books all of my other books are written in the third person. And again, most of this is written in the third person, but I had to bring the children into it. So broke another rule for myself. I started it in the second person. Think of someone famous you admire. What would you do if that person said or wrote something unfair? Would you speak up? Would you risk getting that person angry? Eliza Davis did. I wrote that in the second person so that I could bring them into her world, into her mindset, what she was up against. And even though she is older than the children I am reading it to, they can relate to that challenge. And we talk about it, you know, because sometimes adults can be very scary or overwhelming or it's hard to speak up. And as I read the book too, I try and make other um, references that I think that they'll relate to. We, I like to bring up Queen Esther because what did Queen Esther do? Queen Esther spoke up to the mighty king and she didn't have to speak up. She could have stated he didn't know she was Jewish. Jewish people were under threat. She could have kept quiet. She could have stayed safe, um, but she speaks up. She tells him she's Jewish. She asks for mercy for her people. 
And think about Eliza Davis. Eliza Davis isn't poor. She's living a comfortable middle-class life in England. She's actually living in the lovely Tavistock house. She doesn't have to draw attention to herself. And Charles Dickens is like a king in his time. Everybody listens to him, even Queen Victoria reads him, everyone from the chimney sweeps to the queen. And his pen is devastating. I mean, if he didn't like what she had to say, he could have written something even worse, which is what I bring up. He could have made things even worse. So she is taking a risk. She speaks up and she does indeed save her people because things get better for the Jewish community after Charles Dickens not only creates Mr. Rhea, but he becomes an advocate in his magazine all the year round, which I talk about as well. He stops portraying Fagin in such a stereotypical way. He goes to the sec he goes to the printer at the second printing, has him take out the references to the Jew. And by the way, that's always when I read that part to the kids where I say, you know, he refers to Fagin as the Jew, the Jew, the Jew. And I put it in quotes. I, I always say to the kids, oh, I hate reading this part, but this is how he wrote it. Can you imagine how hurtful it was? He writes in quotes, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, and the words hurt like a hammer on Eliza's heart. You know, it hurts like a hammer on my heart. Does it hurt you too? And, you know, so I bring it into their world. And I have it be something they can relate to. And Lisa, let me tell you, I read this to non-Jewish kids as well. And they totally get it, how hurtful stereotypes are. They get the universal aspect of how hurtful it is to create stereotypes and, um, and, and generalize about groups in a hurtful way. So that's what I did. Yes. Um, yeah. You sort of um, you jumped ahead to a um, something I was going to ask you, um, which is the idea that it is a universal story. I mean, we can all identify with that, and we can all encourage one another to be activists in in causes that we feel strongly about. Um, so, I guess my last question to you would be: What do you hope children will take away? And and you know also. I would think that this is the kind of book that prompts that conversation when read by a, a parent to a child, even the way you started out. Um, you put the question to us all, reader and listener. Yeah. Well, one of the great joys of sharing this, first of all, I would like to say that with all of my books, is you when you introduced me, you, you described my goals um, beautifully. Um, I write books about... Um, Heroes and heroines, I think the kids might not know about otherwise, heroes and heroines that will inspire, inspire them to be heroes and heroines in their own life. I don't want their experience to end with the last page. Um, I want them to see how they can be the Eliza Davis of their time, or if they are the Charles Dickens and said something hurtful, how they can atone and do better. Um, I'm, I'm hoping this book will bring people together, both to speak up, to be upstanders, and also if they have made mistakes, and we have all made mistakes, to say that we're sorry and to do better, and for us all to come together. Um, I have had the great honor of presenting this as part of a Jewish Book Council author tour. I have presented this all around the country and in Canada, 
Um, and, you know, recently I presented this at the Eric Carle Museum in Amherst as part of their Bookshare program. Whenever I present it in person or virtually, I encourage kids to speak up for the change that they want to see in the world. So whether this involves writing letters, and I've actually created a page on my website called Dear dot dot dot, so they to encourage them to write letters, or if they're younger and letters are really a bit much, they've been creating posters. And it can be about anything that means something to them. So not necessarily might be somebody who said something or it might be speaking up, but it also could be speaking up to save our earth, um, to recycle, to be kind, um, to, to care for our animals. And it's, it's just so amazing because wherever I share this, uh, the kids share what is on their mind, the issues that matter to them. And then we also have a little fun with it too. And I know this is a serious story. And I also told you, you know, one of the reasons it, it took a while to find an editor for this was because editors questioned how it could be illustrated. Well, I want to give credit to the illustrator, Bethany Stancliffe, who did an incredible job. Not only did she create the Victorian world, but you can look in this book about how she showed the emotions, the emotions jump off the page. You can see what Eliza's feeling. You can, you can feel what she's feeling. You can feel what Charles Dickens is feeling. And even more than that, she added a cat. There's a cat. And when I read it, the cat keeps popping up. And I ask the kids to help me keep track of how many times the cat pops up. And we always do that. So we have a little fun with it. And sometimes when they draw these posters, I say, well, if you have a favorite animal you want to add to your poster, Bethany did it, and you're welcome to do that too. And so we all have fun with it because, you know, books should not only inspire and encourage us to do what we can to heal the world, but we should also enjoy the experience and we should smile. And uh, Bethany, thank you, Bethany. Those, that cat, that little white cat that keeps popping up makes all the kids smile and, and me too. And also it gets me in good with my cats because I have two cats and they've been waiting for a book with cats in it. <laughs> um, well, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for our listeners. Again, the book is Dear Mr. Dickens by Nancy Chernin. It's available here at the Yiddish Book Center's on-site and online store, Yiddish, shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and elsewhere. Uh, great idea for a Passover book. Um, so it will prompt a lot of conversation. Thanks again and uh, keep writing. We love your work. Oh, th thank you, Lisa. It's such an honor. I had the joy, a shout out to the Yiddish Book Center. I had the joy of being part of the TENT program sponsored by the PJ Library in 2019. Did some wonderful writing there. And it's such an honor to see my books at your fabulous museum. And I encourage people to patronize and support. Thank you for all that you do. Well, um, thank you. you. We are proud to have you as an alum of the Yiddish Book Center's tent program. So keep writing uh, and we hope to see you here soon. Take care. Take care. Look forward to it. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. 
I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.